This is Bellator Colloquium, a podcast of the Bellator Society. Bellator in Latin means warrior, and a colloquium is a conversation. We at the Bellator Society are online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful, and this podcast is our conversation about all those things and so much more. Meet us here weekly at Bellator Colloquium and at bellatorsociety.com for content that will hopefully lift you, inspire you, comfort you, and make you feel a part of our Bellator Society. Good morning, friends and warriors. This is Tracy Eddy. Welcome to the podcast. I have Fran Yeager in Nashville, Tennessee. And guess what? Today she is joined by her sweet husband who has agreed to be with us today. <laughs> Good morning, Bellators. Dr. Happy to be Matt. here. Hey, Matt. Dr. Matt Yeager. And we also have John Carswell, who... Some of you may remember he is our producer who's usually behind the microphone um, during our podcast, but today he's joined us once before, or actually twice before, and he's joining us again today as we finish up our discussion on Leaf by Nickel. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning. So it's going to be a pretty balanced day. Usually it's just Fran and I, and we've had a lot of guests who are contributors who tend to always be women. So today it's going to be a treat for the male listener. You're going to have some, um, you're going to have some companionship here today. <laughs> with I feel with I the feel men. a balance in the force. That's right. That's Bring right. Bringing the man we, show. We are. <laughs> we are. It's not. It's not all the women today. Which also means that, um, I don't know, John, if you have this problem, but um, whenever Matt, like, records things or orders things, <laughs> orders things, like, in a drive through I always say, Low lower your voice, bring it down a little bit, because he's notorious for being called, ma'am, do you want fries with that? <laughs> when, when I get excited, my, my voice gets way up here. Um, I'm always up. So, so today, I'll... I'll try to bring it down a little bit He's into gonna, a uh, it's gonna be good. regular Matt, register here. Use your radio voice, please. There you go. Very <laughs> key. <laughs> yeah, go channel in the bass a little bit more today. Yeah. Yeah. Can John, can you turn that up for me? Just yeah, crank we'll, my bass. We'll tweak, we'll tweak the bass for you. Okay. Uh, love it. Love it. So today, I guess, like I said earlier, we're doing a we're doing a second part of our previous conversation from Leaf by Niggle, which is a J.R.R. Tolkien short story. And so many of y'all loved our first part of our discussion, but we didn't have enough time to finish it. So yeah. today we're finishing. Well, and that's kind of why I wanted it. I was happy to get involved because, like, I loved it. I loved the story itself. And then, you know, you guys were talking about it and didn't get to the parts, honestly, <laughs> that I, I loved the most. I loved I loved the second half of the story. To, to me, that was the most uh, beautiful and sweet. The I, ending's always the best, right? <laughs> and so we left you hanging. I agree, Matt. <laughs> so. uh, Matt, yeah, I, I the second, when I read this story years ago for the first time, I think it was when uh, when I got to the part where he finds the tree because that's where we left off where he mm -hmm. he comes upon the tree i was that was where my mind was officially blown and i was like whoa <laughs> and then mm -hmm. it just keeps getting better from there so it, it, and the first half of the story is is good but it's like this is the payoff right so yeah. Yeah. who wants to give a quick recap on the first half of the story fran uh, john well, I mean, John, Matt. here's the deal. If you want a recap of the first part of the story, you really should listen to part one of the Leaf by Niggle podcast that we did a few weeks ago. But, John, do you want to just, like, do a quick little summary sure. of how we got here, how we got to the tree? Absolutely. Um, and and I'll try to make it brief, but I got to be honest. I, I feel like I can never make this <laughs> You can do, do it. Make it brief. All right. We have this <laughs> we fella. We won't get to the end. Do we need to set a timer? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> we have this fella named Niggle and he is a just average fella, average guy and he is a painter by hobby but not by profession. It's not clear what his profession is, but he's a he loves to paint and he's been working on this one picture for a long time and it's a picture of a tree that has basically just started from like one painting one like beautiful leaf and it's become a much bigger picture. He's got a neighbor named Parrish and Parrish is a 
difficult neighbor in the sense that he's always got problems and and he's always sort of a distraction to niggle from he's so needy he, he's needy mm-hmm. that's the right word so niggle uh we see niggle kind of grudgingly helping him because he feels bad for not helping him and but it's not it doesn't entirely pan out the way he wants it to Eventually, Niggle gets in trouble in this really strange way with the authorities, and the authorities come and they take Niggle away to this workhouse, and he's stuck in this workhouse for a long period of time. And we see this transformation occurring in him that culminates in this debate between these two voices. We don't see the faces or or know anything else about these voices, but it's basically a debate between these two voices of saying, like, should he... Is how is how is Niggle doing? Is he ready to move on? Has he learned his lesson? You know these kinds of questions, and eventually, through the really through the advocacy of the second voice, he's allowed to move on mm-hmm. to wherever he's supposed to go next. Where it's it's all very strange. Like what's I, what exactly is happening? I with loved him. that part. Mm-hmm. I loved that conversation. That sparked a lot of um, conversation in the car. Uh, with our boys uh, when we were listening to that because Mm -hmm. those two voices, you know, we, or at least I came down the side of thinking this is justice and mercy talking. You know, both of them are right. Both of them are in Niggle's best interest, right? You know, he he could spend more time and the work can't, I mean, he could, and because he deserves it, he needs more work, you know, and that's that's true and that's good. But there's also mercy. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the mercy voice is the one in this conversation that wins out. But it's not that e- either voice is, is evil or against him. Right. Both of them, I think, want what's best for Niggle. Uh, but in this case, mercy wins out. Thanks be to God. And John, I remember in our last podcast talking about the the, the earlier part of Niggle, you made the comment that it's that you know Tolkien isn't so one for one. In fact, he doesn't really like that, right? right. The, those 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 um, analogies that are really direct and obvious aren't his favorite. Um, but when again, when we were having this conversation, we were like, who are the voices? Who like there has to yeah. be? And I think for me, the voice, the two voices were the voice of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's that justice and mercy. God is is perfect justice, and he's also perfect mercy. Right. And that's really where we want to jump into this discussion, because it's right after we hear these these two voices sort of hashing it out, saying, you know, what what's going to come of him now? And and the, the second voice says one of my favorite lines in the whole story, and it's, I think it's time for the gentle treatment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the gentle treatment. So... That's uh, I I I prefer to hear it's time for the gentle treatment rather than the oh. <laughs> rather than the harsh treatment for sure. <laughs> yeah. So well, that's where we're jumping in now. So th- we've heard that it's time for the gentle treatment. So the lights up. I mean, if this were on the stage, it would be like uh, the first part has been you know in in real life and then in darkness and in shadows and then it's time for the gentle treatment and the lights come up. And and we 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 see that. I mean, they talk about that. Though he wakes up the next morning and the curtains are open, and he gets on the train and he goes to the place, and then and he finds comfortable clothes. Yeah. Can, can I read that little wear. that paragraph about the gentle treatment yeah, here? Totally, because it's beautiful. Um, so, like you said, he the the second voice says, "I think it is a case for a little gentle treatment now." Niggle thought that he had never heard anything so generous mm-hmm. as that voice. It made gentle treatment sound like a load of rich gifts and a summons mm-hmm. to a king's feast. Mm-hmm. Then, suddenly, Niggle felt ashamed. To hear that he was considered a case for gentle treatment overwhelmed him and made him blush in the dark. It was like being publicly praised when you and all the audience knew that the praise was not deserved. Niggle hid his blushes in the rough blanket. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just yeah. love it. I just you know, we don't it. feel deserving of no. that. And 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 it's and when somebody lavishes love on us, uh, you know, uh, it 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 makes us it makes us feel you know special and 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 but a little bit like that you know like you said like I didn't I didn't deserve that thank thank you thank you for this gift of love but that's you know clearly I, I he Niggle has really changed he yeah. he he knows that right. he's got a long way to go mm-hmm. and i think that's been a beautiful part of his journey so far especially in that work campus he's he's really changed uh, and has a very different view of himself and i think that's what he 
he needed that quite a bit. And I think there's something about mercy that changes our perspective. In fact, again, I like that. I like the difference from the from the darkness to the light because it really does flip a switch when we receive mercy in its purest form because there's no more excuses. There's no more mitigation. There's right. no more trying to get away from the justice that we know that we deserve, but we're kind of like always trying to sidestep it. When we receive the mercy, we're like, give it. Yes, open the floodgates. I did all of the things. And if the answer is mercy, I want it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's every time I read the story, y'all, I was was thinking to myself as I was refreshing on it this morning and and I was reading the second half of it by itself. I was just like, I. I just don't feel like I can ever do justice to this story. Like yeah. it, it, it's one of the most. I literally, you all know how much I love Lord of the Rings, the Middle yeah. Earth stories. But I was thinking to myself, like as much as I love those stories, this mm-hmm. might be slowly becoming my favorite thing that Tolkien ever wrote. Like because yeah. because it's just it's profound, and it's and if you know the background of the story, which we covered in the last episode, yes, it's like it was some kind of divine inspiration to him yeah right the, yeah. and i won't give away all that you need to go back and listen to the first episode but it yeah it was some kind of divine inspiration almost well and because i'm a huge nerd even after we talked about it last time i actually yeah. kept reading more and more and more about niggle and about its origins and its backstory and all of those things and um one thing that i we had not talked about that i had not read prior was um the the issue of when he was um uh, when he was asked to write a story for the publication, I'm forgetting the name of the publication that it was originally in, but basically commissioned to write a short story. Right. Uh, th- their only their only request was that it would be, I think the word the wording was a reflection of Catholic humanity. Hmm. And hmm. this is what this is what came of it. You yeah. know, this is what he produced as his offering for a reflection of Catholic humanity. And I think that's so appropriate because it, it does encompass everything that we experience as you know catholics as christians really in mm-hmm. our lives and that you know we live our whole life trying to trying to do the right thing grumbling under our breath you know hoping that things turn out the way we want them to and and always in that 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 in a way trying to avoid the inevitable journey <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why we go to the gym and eat the organic stuff and, you know, do all <laughs> these things because we just want to push off the journey. It's too hard to think about. And yet it comes for all of us. Death comes for all of us. Yep. And then and then what happens after that? Mm-hmm. And I love I mean, I think we probably all have been there where we've been through seasons of suffering or whatever. And and you look back and you think, oh, that's why, you know, we, we question like, what, why, what are you doing to me, Lord? Like, why me? What's going on? And then you look back and you see kind of how it, it was for your good or how, um, you know, once you kind of come out of that time, you can kind of see more clearly. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was the second part of this story was he seen way more clearly. Like, yes. oh, this is what you were doing. Oh, this is what, you know, it seemed like, 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 like they said earlier, the lights were on, they could mm-hmm. see. Um, and I feel like that is so, um, such a beautiful parallel to kind of our reality. I know for, for me, especially. Yeah. Well, well I think he's healed, you know, and yeah. so much in the first part of the story. Yeah. For me, yeah. I, I wanted to, th- this story helped me understand why we need purgatory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I, I, I was a grew up Protestant, and so I, I, I didn't have a very f- familial relationship with the idea of purgatory. That was a that's a very foreign thing that over the over the years I've slowly sort of grown closer and closer to and wrapped my mind around. But you know, I was thinking this morning actually uh, about the the story and and for me his transition what he's going through right now this the hard work the hard treatment he's received and now the gentle treatment that we're about to move into you know why do we need that why do we need that as souls before we enter heaven mm-hmm. um and and what struck me is that none of us are going to be different people when we're in heaven mm-hmm. We we are who we are, and 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 God loves us who how we are. But can you imagine a heaven full of people who have all of our normal bad habits? 
<laughs> and and all of our normal selfishness mm-hmm. and uh, our conceit and our and agendas. All, right, all it. Can <laughs> yeah. you imagine a whole heaven full of those people with their with their own agendas? It doesn't sound heavenly. It, no, it, it, it sounds, sounds like terrible. something else. Yeah, and and <laughs> even opposite. though even though Christ's sacrifice has 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 brought salvation to us. We've still got a lot of work to do before we're ready to be a part of that heavenly host. Well, the the, uh, the, the purgatory, and for someone else like me, and who also comes from a, a Protestant background, Matt, uh, your your insights just ring so powerfully with me because, like, salvation in in the in the Catholic uh, view of salvation, purgatory is a part of that process, right? That that salvation is is all from Christ, but it's but we experience it as a process, right? Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. and purgatory is the final stage of that process, right? Mm-hmm. And and people get hung up who are not people who are not Catholic and even some Catholics get hung up on you know all the kind of weird like r- rules of purgatory that are out there from like the middle <laughs> ages and that kind of thing. But don't Can't like, go back don't, only forward. <laughs> don't go don't go don't go hanging your hat on that as like what the you know yeah. what the doctrine of purgatory is. The doctrine of purgatory is actually something that's so simple and so easy, yeah. like it's it's so clearly a part of the gospel that um that somebody like C.S. Lewis could basically acknowledge that he he agreed with pur- like the doctrine of yeah. purgatory, right? Right, and and I would even say that our concept of purgatory is is similar to, in a way, our concept of heaven or even hell. That we describe it, we have, we you know, we put our words to these concepts that are really mysterious, and we're going to get some of it wrong. Mm-hmm. So, right. so historically yeah. speaking, the ways in which we have described purgatory, you know, uh, described what that process is like, even as a place, purgatory might not even be a place. It really might be like. A, a purification process that we can't even use our words to describe, and yet we try because that's useful. It and is useful. I think there are a lot of historic, you know, accretions that have kind of latched onto it that maybe that are undoubtedly unhealthy. But the the core idea of somebody dies and are they yet perfect? Well, I are can't. Think, I right. can't think of anybody I know who died and was perfect. Maybe yeah. you know there there might be some saints out there, but you know I, I know I've known a lot of good people who aren't who love Jesus but aren't yet maybe who they need to be who have died and and I and I certainly don't expect I'll be who I'm supposed to be when I die mm-hmm. I kind of think that even as a protestant I knew I just didn't have a name for it I knew there was this necessary like last purification that needed to happen for me I just didn't have a name for it and I didn't know how it was yeah. going to happen and that's right. all so that's really all that purgatory part- is the, the important part about it all is not not how purgatory happens or where purgatory happens, but right. just that we need it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, just just to the understanding that this is something that we all need. Which in and of itself, it's so funny that purgatory ends up being one of those Catholic versus not Catholic things that we that we de- that we deal with in our you know uh, apologetic conversations and things like that. But it is so thoroughly, John. You said it's you know th- there's a gospel truth to it, but I mean it's thoroughly biblical. And when we look at first. Corinthians three, um, you know, we're, we're we are told that uh, according to the grace of God given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But each one must be careful how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one that there is, namely Jesus Christ. Here's the purgatory part: if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, the work of each will come to light for the day. I love that there's that there's that um thread of light there like every the light's going to come up you're going to see it in the end and and the day will disclose it it will be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work if the work stands that someone built upon the foundation that person will receive a wage but if someone's work is burned up the one will suffer loss the person will be saved, but only as through fire. Guys, this is purgatory in the yeah. Bible. Well, this is here, what we're talking and, about. And, and here's the thing: what's the fire? Yes. The fire. Yeah. The fire is the love of God, right? Is God? Yeah. Is God Himself? Got the the burning heart of God. Yeah. It, it burns up anything that's less than love, right? Yeah. It burns up anything that's less than love because it can't abide it, right? And because those things don't last anyway. 
right? Yeah, um, and I think and I think the loss that we're talking about then becomes those attachments that we have to mm-hmm. lose in order to to become in full communion with that that burning fire, that that love of God. So I I uh, I so in a, in a thought of because we're actually still stuck in the recap, y'all. I know. <laughs> we need to get so the so thing. so here's my get thing. Back to- here's my thing. Um, he arrives at this place, yeah. this beautiful place out in the country, finds this tree, and he sees it as his as, as the tree that he was painting. Is he in heaven yet, or is he still in purgatory? Okay. <laughs> what do you guys think? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think he's there yet. Yeah, I don't think does. he's there. That's not that is that is him coming to me. That's him coming to grips with what he's done here on earth. Yeah. But it's but but heaven is still on ahead for him. And and I and it's and it's I specifically think that because of of the interaction with our with the with the next character to join mm-hmm. him uh and and I'll pause and and wait till we get to that point to to move on with that I guess. And I guess I agree. I didn't think it at first. I will say that. I actually thought that when he rode his bike and got to the tree and he said it's a gift, you know, that 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 was heaven. Like this was his heaven. This is what he imagined his whole life's, you know, perfected essence would be. Um and yet something was missing. Right. He, he, he knew something was missing and it still required some measure of effort. And I think that's why it's not yet heaven. Trey. That's a good point. I think why I sort of viewed it as heaven is because Parrish was saying, you know, what, what is this? And the other character says, this is, this is the tree. And he said, well, who, who created this? Who created this beautiful garden? And, and he said, well, actually Nickel did. And he, and Parrish is like, what? And he, and he said something to the effect of, well, I knew it, but it was just a glimpse. You know, now it's it's kind of like now he saw the fullness of of Niggles, you know, life's work. And so that's why, because I feel like this this world we live in, planet Earth, is a glimpse. You know, the goodness that we get to experience on Earth is just a glimpse of what maybe heaven will be. We can't even really imagine how wonderful heaven's going to be, but we do get a glimpse of it in the goodness and in the love of, like, our friends and family and, and you know, the Lord— sprinkles us and showers us with his goodness, you know, um, um, here, but, but it's just a, it's just a foretaste really of heaven. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's where I thought, okay, we're, he's here, but I, I respect your opinions also. <laughs> <laughs> well, can we go back to the tree and I want to ask a question of the Tolkien expert here. What is it, what does it mean that when he saw the tree and he said, it's a gift, and then he looked closer and he saw that it had like all of the leaves that he ever could have imagined in their most exquisite form. And he said, but it says, and yet they were dated as clear as a calendar and they were perfect examples of the niggle style, but were have seen to be, were, were seen to have been in pro- produced in collaboration with Mr. Parrish. What is that? Like, what what did, why would, why were they dated? Like, is it just like all of the all of the encounters that he had with Parrish over his life that somehow were were made manifest in this this tree vision? Um, you yeah. know, like when he when he wished that he had been doing a leaf and was actually doing a task for Parrish, it actually became a leaf. That, that you know, I had never thought about that before. I, I've there's some there's some lines like that in this story that strike that strike me as strange, like that one, right? Where it's like, yeah. what is that? Wait, he doesn't spend any time explaining what he means. He just kind of says it and moves along. Like yeah. we should know what he means. I <laughs> I like <laughs> I like your explanation though. Like maybe maybe it's like he made some leaves with his own hand, and then some of these other leaves that were on there were like actual moments that you know he did a he did a kindness for pair. He stepped away from the painting and did a kindness for pair. So maybe they're dated in that sense. I think maybe they're also dated in the sense of like, uh, it, it looks, it's real. The tree is real, but, mm-hmm. but the leaves are still the products of his own work, right? They, they, they still reflect his own particular creative identity and handiwork. So I think, you know, Niggle is is the creative one, obviously. He's the one with the vision. He's the one that's seen the beauty in everything. And and so now he's plopped down into the middle of this beautiful world that that he recognizes. Um, and yet he doesn't know what to do. There's a paragraph here, and it says he sat down under a b- very beautiful distant tree, a variation of the great tree, but quite individual. 
uh, or it would be with a little more attention. And he considered where to begin work and where to end it and how much time was required. And he couldn't figure out his scheme. And he thought to himself, what I need is perish. Mm -hmm. There are lots of things about earth and plants and trees that he knows that I don't. Because Parrish is a gardener. Right. right. Parrish yeah. was the earth grubber. He was, you know, and 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 Niggle never recognized the beauty and the knowledge that Parrish had. He was just the annoying neighbor who grubbed the earth with no vision. Right. And now he sees, well, I'm in this beautiful world but it needs somebody to take care of it. Like it yeah. needs somebody who knows. And, and he says, this place cannot be left just as my private park. Mm. I need help and advice. I have ought to have gotten it sooner. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that well, and it also, to me, that also is, is a reflection of the body of Christ and, yeah. and how we each play a part in building up the body of Christ and in and, and building up the kingdom. And so, we all have different talents and different gifts mm. and different, and when we work together, we have this heavenly, you know, beautiful home and, and he's recognizing mm -hmm. that and th that, you know, that is not his gift, but I really need this, this, mm -hmm. this other, you know, this brother to, to go alongside me and, and help me. This was the pivotal point for me. I mean, this, this is really the crux of the, of, of the most beautiful part uh, in the story uh, as I read it, because then Parrish shows up, right? Niggle, Niggle sees the need for Parrish. Parrish, Parrish has now has arrived, and, and we find out that it was because Niggle put in a good word for him, and Niggle cared about him, and now Niggle needs his his skill set and his his personality here that now they're together and you see these two two men who were friends um quietly going about this new world and and doing work together with their own skills and so for me i started to wonder why why are they together what what does niggle get out of parish's presence and and parishes get and what does parish get from niggle's gift because each of them for me they're, they're still in purgatory they're still in a process so what does each of them need from the other why is this part of their journey i matt i i uh great stuff i i would say even going back to one thing you said though I wouldn't. I wouldn't have called them friends before. Like they may have been neighbors, but like, <laughs> right? They they were like, you you can tell like the way they looked at each other. They you know they may have been neighbors and kind of needed one another in a very like utilitarian sense, but mm -hmm. they weren't really like, hey buddy, let's come hang out. You know, kind of kind of friends like that. But now now here they are, and all of a sudden, once they realize the the beauty that the other brings to the equation. Um, they're starting to build a friendship, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and to further elaborate on the, you know, the niggle and parish dynamic here, um, as they work together, as they now surrender to one another and, and, uh, and to this budding friendship, they actually grow to the point where they're like, it's not even just, there is no like utilitarian element to it. Like they take genuine delight in each mm -hmm. other as people, as, mm -hmm. as, as neighbors, as, as friends, uh, even as brothers, as they work together and it like, they almost become like, they don't even have to talk about it anymore. They just, they know how to work together. Right. Yeah. Tolkien says they, they walked arm in arm without communicating, but, but planning, they, they plan where to put the house and, but without even having to talk. So to me, again, that's why in my mind it's heaven, because I feel like our community will, our souls will communicate. You know what I mean? Um, it's interesting. Heaven camp. Heaven camp. <laughs> well, it's not heaven. No, no, they're getting ready for heaven. They have to prepare to be heavenly. Well, you think about like, um, and and not that not disclaimer. Dante's Divine Comedy, even though it's even though it's an incredible work in its own right, has no doctrinal bearing whatsoever on Catholic theology. But in Dante's Purgatorio, there's there's kind of a a port the first part of purgatory is much more like hell it's much more of this mm -hmm. like you know you're yeah. you're working you're still kind of undergoing these punishments but then as you get further along in purgatory it actually starts to become this kind of like earthly paradise right yeah. not heaven uh, it's not heaven but it's kind of this earthly paradise so anyway Tra <laughs> sorry Tracy. <laughs> hey, you I, I i can see that argument to to <laughs> 
to a little degree. <laughs> but Well, and I love, too, that at this point, now that they are together, now that this friendship has blossomed, and again, I think this friendship in both of their, in both of their experiences is the fruit of mercy. Mm-hmm. That when you, re- when you understand the, the enormity of the mercy that you have received, there's no more, there's no more competition. There's no more, like whatever those little ninjas are between us in the world, they don't matter anymore because we've both become so saturated with the, 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 the realization of the mercy that we have received. We kind of let go. Like we open our hands of all the grudges of all of the, the, the icky stuff that we had in this world. And I think that's, that's kind of the, the, the root of their, their friendship is, is mercy. But then I love Im- immediately there's the switch. Mm-hmm. There's the, there's a very evident switch kind of what Matt was pointing to where, um, niggle becomes the better of the two at ordering things and getting the job done, which is what, which is what Parrish's life was <laughs> before. Like Parrish was always like, we've got all these things to do. I need you to help me do these things. And niggle was like, dude, you are cramping my style. I'm trying to p- paint a tree. Like, don't you see that I'm trying to do this thing? And he's like, no, we've got all these, you know, your garden isn't clean enough. Your house isn't clean enough. You're not doing the things you ought to be doing. But that is in, in a better way, in a perfecting way. Um, Niggle is is doing that same thing in in the gentle treatment, right? right? And then Parrish then becomes the one who sees the tree. Yep. Who sees yeah. the vision? Who who embraces the the beauty that he was never able to do in this world. You know, I think of it from Parrish's perspective here. So Parrish, from what we know in the book, at least, or in the story, I we don't get any report that Parrish had to spend any time at the work camp. Oh, that's right. Right? Mm-hmm. Parrish, Parrish has already done his work. He already oh, knows true. the busy work. He already knows the toil and the self-discipline. He came straight to, to the, the place, to the beautiful place. Oh. And so, on his life. so think about Parrish's story. So now he's worked and worked and worked his whole life and he's suffered and he's got the bad back and the lame leg and his sick wife and the hole in his roof. Like now he gets to have some time to, it says he, he, you know, niggle, Niggle's doing the work, and he's he's planting this quickset hedge, and Parrish is lying on the grass nearby, just looking attentively at the beautiful and shapely little flower garden that's growing mm. on the green turf. Yeah. That's, what, that's he what he needs. Needed. That's what Parrish needed. So it's so beautiful to me to see that that one's life work is toil and trouble, and, and what he needs to be prepared for heaven was an appreciation of beauty. Mm. And the other's whole life work was all about beauty and 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 no work and so he needed to work really hard and then to see that the beautiful thing that he created becomes the the avenue for which his friend grows closer to god and prepares for heaven and that, so that, i just love that oh. i love that so much <laughs> this thing is so that i mean it's so stuff. profound y'all i'm just I, I can't like like I said, I always feel like I've talked on this in front of in front of audiences this story, and I just I'm like I can't do this dang thing justice. I'm like just read the dang. All I want to get up in front of people is to say just read the dang story, and then but read I, it again. I'll say this: you have to read it probably more than once because mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm I'm on number three, and I and there's still stuff I'm missing, or you're tying things together in a way that I just didn't look at it from maybe that perspective. So it's it, I'm not I'm not. Um, a Tolkien expert by any means. I do enjoy his his writings, but if if you're like me and you, and you're not super super well versed in Tolkien, then there's it's so many layers and so many you know intricacies and and webs and and things that you know getting in his mind. He's what a genius because I'm I'm the the way he writes is so deep and so profound that. Until you have a conversation with maybe somebody who's read it from a different perspective, it's like, oh yeah, like you, you know, yeah. you see it differently. There's so many different angles and and ways to see his writings. Absolutely, I love it. Yeah. So so we're at the tree. The tree is in full blossom. They're working together in communion, in harmony. You know, goodness. Who could imagine anything better? And then we have a new character. Right. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the the. The shepherd, the one, yeah. the one like a shepherd. Yeah, yeah. Who's that? Do we think? <laughs> hmm. 
maybe somehow associated with the voices. I'm not yeah. sure. Not so tricky, Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> this Your is a little bit on the nose. Here. So, yeah. Your layers are real thin. <laughs> At least he knows his audience maybe is not always as smart as him. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, the, they saw a man. He looked like a shepherd. He was walking towards them down the grass slopes that led up into the mountains. The cap- capitalized mountains. Yeah. There. Yeah. Right. Um, do you want a guide, he asked. Do you want to go on? And um, and it it's beautiful. This this it says this shadow fell between Niggle and Parish, and yes. and it, and so Tracy just not not to beat the dead horse here, but like this is are there shadows in I, heaven? If I if, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for this, Maybe. I might have thought I might have thought that the first part was heaven. Um, mm-hmm. But it's this moment that makes me think like this is because because Parish is waiting here. Decides he wants to wait here for his wife to come, right. and not not forever, but just because he feels like his wife is going to need him. Right in this place, right. but Niggle this is, is ready when to I started move on. Crying, y'all. The first time I read the book, this is where the tears started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it'll do it. It'll yeah, do it for I sure. I think I might have fallen asleep at this point on the first read. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and because Parrish at this point he's not he's not ready to move ahead, and he and he knows what his his wife's gifts are mm-hmm. is is making a home. Uh, and so he wants to he wants to wait for her because he knows she's going to love this place yeah. and she's going to know exactly, you know, Niggle had the idea. He had the beauty. Parrish had the skills, you know, to tend it. And now the wife is going to come and make it a home and make it more homely. And so each person that comes through has something to offer the person that comes behind them. Yeah. And and in each person's journey through this purgatory, somehow is that restorative restorative part mm-hmm. that the next person needs. And I just mm-hmm. I love the I love the daisy chain effect that's going on here from person to person as they're passing through this beautiful world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that too and I think that is so eloquently said, but how does Parrish know his wife is going to have to go through purgatory? Maybe her purgatory, maybe her suffering, her lifelong suffering on earth. You know, I'd like to believe that some people do go straight to heaven. Like well, St. Therese certainly thought so. So see, you're in good company. Me and, me and Therese are, we're <laughs> simpatico, simpatica. Um, so that's, I think that's my, while I get Parrish wanted to wait for his wife, but does, He's pretty confident then that she's going to be in purgatory. Here's, here's, here's purgatory. the deal. Here's the deal. I'm pretty sure that Matt and I are both going to be in purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, wait for Fran. Wait okay. for Fran. <laughs> no, but like he knows her intimately. Like he knows that she's not a saint on earth. You know, I mean, there are some people who are like, Ollie, that, that is a saint on earth. But he knew her. He knew probably that that she she needed perfecting and so he just presumes that you know she's going to join me here and maybe presumption is wrong there <laughs> well well and uh if if the shepherd is who we think for a while <laughs> if the shepherd is who we think it is then he could have quickly corrected parish here and been like uh, oh no she's actually already in you know up in the mountains so you can go you know you can you can come along and meet her up there right come on, brother. right yeah. <laughs> um so he doesn't you know he doesn't correct him here but um but so practical, but 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 the important thing really is the I mean the picture right like that what right. it sh- what it says of Parish and and where he's come to because they're both Niggle and Parish have this development in the story and Niggle we we've seen Niggle's development primarily but but Parish also has his own development because he starts off at the beginning of the story and he's kind of he's kind of crotchety towards you know towards Niggle and we get the sense that you know maybe he's you know I. I there's not a lot of evidence for it textually, but like, you know, the sense that probably he, he has a little bit of that attitude towards his wife as well. Right. But now mm-hmm. here he is. And he's like, no, I can't leave without my, my wife. Like mm-hmm. she'd be lonely. She'd be lonely. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the idea that here in this place, they are, they are by default without any further thought, putting the need of the other before themselves. Right. right? Yes. And before their, yes. maybe their own desires. And even so much that their, his own desire, instead of going on to what we assume is heavenly beatitude, his desire is to wait mm-hmm. to ensure that she makes a smooth transition into, yeah. into this. Which is and the it, most beautiful takeaway because we are, you know, as married people, our, our job is to help our spouse get to heaven and, yeah. and vice versa. And so that the takeaway there is like just beautiful. And, and I mean, there's really nothing more you can even say about it because it's so yeah. profound. Well, and Absolutely. I think that, that, um, 
arm in arm with what John you were just describing about wanting the good for the person you love and and you know having that that perfected vision of of who they are also we we revisit the the rhetorical aspect in kind of the next couple of of paragraphs where they're talking about um how how Niggle never saw what I mean, sorry, Paris never saw what Niggle was doing in this world and that he he lacked catching a glimpse of the work that he was doing. And I think that that is also perfecting that that, you know, when we in this world really do try to see what other people are doing, give people the benefit of the doubt. I mean, so many of the, the spiritual writers, you know, really kind of harp on this idea of giving people the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. you know, really trying to look at at their lives from a different perspective. And that's what Parrish never did in this right. world. Um, and I think that that is, that, that goes hand in hand with wanting the best for people. It's also seeing the best in people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. So, um, so we get this, uh, so Parrish, uh, decides he's going to stay. Niggle moves on. I love what it says. I, I want to point this out. The name, they ask, they ask the shepherd the name of the place where they've been, mm-hmm. and he says it is Niggle's country. Um, and I love the I love the fact that this is like this is the thing that he was always trying to build, but he was mm-hmm. frustrated in the here and now, trying mm-hmm. to create it. And a lot, and, and and maybe it turns out that a lot of his own frustration just came from his own unwillingness to focus on the good of the other. But like the idea that maybe in this life. Which is a which is a passing thing that that is what we are all doing, mm-hmm. but we just don't see it right. Like, and so our priorities are mixed up, right? Mm-hmm. We're focused mm-hmm. on this task or this task, when really the the only vocation in the end is love, right? And yeah. and to seek the love and the good of our neighbor, and and that that ultimately is the thing that God blesses and and gives and gives like this final reality to. Yeah. Well, and and also there's the thought that is is the tree the the final reality or is the tree the eternal reality? Like, is the tree really the product of niggle or did the tree precede niggle in a way because God always knew that the tree that this place was going to exist, you know? And and this tree in niggle's picture is just a part of the greater landscape that God had, you know predetermined in a way. And then, and then in life, every time Niggle was participatory, you know, he was able to realize those connections in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. But, but this is all God's vision. This is all because of God. Um, And that Niggle was just able to participate in a small way in this, this vision um, with the tree and the landscape around the tree, because obviously there's still more. There's still the mountains out there, right? Right. His his canvas had edges. Well, and and, uh, you're you're not wrong. I will say that. Uh, And and here's the thing. Here and this maybe will help tie it all together. Is I I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the last episode. Um, The the idea Tolkien's whole idea of subcreation, right? That oh yes, what we do is we participate in the creative action of God as human as human beings because we're made in His image. One of that one of the things that means for us being made in the image of God is that we participate as a creators. And so he called that the idea of subcreation. We don't make from nothing like God does. God, God right. makes from nothing, uh, creation ex nihilo, but we make from the materials that God has given to us. And, and, mm-hmm. but ultimately I, I would agree with you that like God knows the ultimate destiny, the ultimate destiny of all things, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's an aspect of his omnipotence or I'm sorry, mm-hmm. of his omniscience. Um, and so the, so what we, so we participate in that, right? We participate mm-hmm. in that, you know, act of love, that ultimate eternal act of love. And, but we, we experience it in the same way that Niggle experiences it here by wake, you know, by entering into this place and being like, there's that tree right? yeah. <laughs> that yeah. I was seeing. Right. And I wanted to make, right. So, yeah. Well, so I think that this is where like the main crux of the story wraps up. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> Nickel goes to the mountains. <laughs> yep. Oh. <laughs> but I 
think, but I think that that's, I think that that's an, obviously it's a very important part of the story as well, mm-hmm. because I think that is where we can have some maybe assurance that, that everything prior to the mountains was uh, purgatorial, right? And that the mountains are the, the, the summit. I mean, in the very real way, I mean, it's, it's the mountaintop, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and that, that maybe is heaven or maybe heaven is even beyond the mountains. You know, we, I don't, I don't know that, but um, I think that this is where the, again, the main story wraps up, but then we have like two sub endings. Like we have two little endings that, that follow the end of the story of Niggle, where we have the three um, mm-hmm. people talking it, it, years and years later. Does it say how many years later? I can't remember. But basically, years long enough ago that Niggle is like a guy in the past. Mm-hmm. And they're telling his story of whatever happened to that guy who had this house. Right. Um, Tom, Tompkins, Tompkins and Atkins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tompkins, Atkins, and then Perkins comes too. Yep. And I want, is there something to the names? Of course, I thought about that too. They're all kins. Um, <laughs> kin meaning, meaning family. Yeah. So they're part of, they're part of the story, you know? Maybe. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had thought of that before you were right. You yeah. might be deeper than Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a, definitely an abrupt scene change here where we have Tompkins voice, and Adkins' voice talking about the memory of Niggle. Um, is there anything that we need to take away from that um, exchange, do you think, John, or Tracy, or Matt? Well, I, you know, the only parts that I – I think there's a couple things. I, I think that part of the story to me was a bit of uh, Tolkien writing about himself mm-hmm. and the critiques that probably – his friends and family and people around him were giving him about, you know, you know, it is, is this, is this fluff that you do this fairy tale writing that you do? Is this, is this utilitarian? Is this worth anything? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so, you know, the, it, it's the, it's the rabble of the people in the world who don't have their sights set on heaven and can't see the beauty uh, of what he's working on. I, I think it's a bit of a commentary on, on, on just the kind of, you know, his, his critics maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I felt that he was writing that towards the, towards <laughs> the people in the world that, that didn't have a, a wider vision. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta remember that, uh, Tolkien was, was a was an you know, academic so he was part of the academic world and and the and the academic world during that period no less probably than in our own was very um you know had 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 a lot of its own biases towards uh you know towards like the medieval and um and and those and those kinds of things which Tolkien was a huge fan of but he was very much in the minority in his time of being like kind of of a mind of the middle ages of the catholic of the you know ancientness of of the Catholic faith. Everybody was trying to modernize and update everything and put all these fairy tales and all these kinds of things in the past and like kind of consign them to the rubbish heap, right? As Tompkins, you know, Tompkins mm-hmm. actually says at one point. Um, I think he's, I think he's just kind of mocking like this idea, you know, of, um, and, but he, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to explain, but he does it in this really beautiful way because it, they, they probably feel like, you know, Tompkins, especially well, how obnoxious is that guy? He he yeah. probably feels like, ah, see, I'm the town counselor, and I'll decide who's important and who's not, and what's important and what's not, and these kinds yeah. of things, and just the hubris of that of that mentality, and how, you know, you think about like just the kind of people in the world who are like that, you know, and, socialists. Yeah, well, <laughs> so I would not, uh, yeah, I I Don't would say get her started. So, <laughs> There's, there's probably a little bit of that going on with Tolkien right here. Um, if nothing else, communism. Yeah, I mean, oh, definitely. Sure. And yeah. and I, I mean, I, this almost sounds like something that uh, George Orwell could have written to me, like this little last section here, <laughs> yeah, because it's, right. it is. It's it seems like such a um, critique it's a against commentary for sure. Against all, yeah, like the the ideologies of modernism and that, like the extreme yeah, ideologies yeah. of modernism. So. And and don't like it's it's left wing and right wing too, right? This is oh, this yeah. is right at the time, right after this was written, right as World War Two was beginning, and the mm-hmm. Nazis were up to their tricks, uh, you know, in Europe. So there's all it, so there's the left wing and there's the right wing of it all, like going getting getting crazy right here. There's and attention for sure, exactly. So, um, but there's a lot in here, and to say <laughs> I, I'm not going to try to say it all right now. It's a very interesting little epilogue, and. Yeah. Uh, and, but I love the idea that Atkins, you know, at least tries to kind of stick up for him and, and, and a little bit, like in a little bit of a way, right? 
and and Atkins kind of secretly preserves this little this little remnant of the painting. So it's yeah. it's really weird in a mystical way too because we have this yeah. thing going on with Niggle and Paris for most of the story, and here they are off in this Niggle's country, wherever that is, and then we're back into our own reality. Yeah, you know, and and Niggle's and there tree still left. exists as a painting. You know, it yeah. still exists as this little leaf, and Atkins frames it and hangs it. You know, in this, but in a then museum. as time goes by, it fades. Mm-hmm. It yes. fades from into obscurity, and then and it essentially disappears altogether, and and nobody nobody remembers it. It's 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 kind of uh, importance is, has passed, and it's done its work. Or or I, the utility is eternal, which right. I think is the next the next bit. Sorry, Tracy, I interrupted. No, I I think to what Matt was saying. I I think Tolkien is such a genius that, yes, it probably is specific. I mean, it was maybe particular digs, particular commentary, particular, um, you know, writing that is maybe attributed to him and his life and his personal. But in the general sense of how he his his writing is, you know, has so much meaning to it. I think we can all read it as like we're all going to be a distant memory <laughs> eventually. I mean, our, you know, as Mother Teresa says, we can't all achieve great things, but we can all, you know, do small things with great love. And the the whole point is nobody's going to really remember that you were the first mayor or the second mayor or that you, you know, whatever you think is so important here on earth, it will be a distant memory, no matter how big it is. For every one of our world leaders, you know, a um, hundred years later, people don't really remember them. You know, yes, they maybe did something huge or what, what not, but their life's work on earth, um, will fade. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just will. And, and so I read it like that kind of, um, or listen to it cause I'm an audible person. Um, <laughs> I read it, I, I listened to it in that vein of, the most important work is not necessarily what I achieve, mm-hmm. you know, and what my accomplishments are. Well, and I would also I would add this though that um, referring back to the the Tompkins character and his you know utilitarian um, worldview, um, obviously I am I'm thoroughly comfortable with rejecting that and thinking that that is evil. However, there is a measure of utility that is 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 um, good in the world, and that's what we get in the last. A sort of second epilogue where we hear the the second voice and the first voice talking to each other again because the very first uh, sentence in their in their dialogue is um, talking about Niggle's country and it said it is proving very useful indeed. Mm-hmm. So there is a utility yeah. that is eternal. There's a utility yeah. to to our lives that is at the service of other people right. and to glorify God. And that needs to be our perspective. Like, what are we doing here on earth that has eternal utility? Right. Not just the things about the washing the dishes and the writing the papers and the doing th- those things, like really trying to pull back from these little tasks and, and asking the question, is it going to prove useful indeed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, it gets into that whole thing of like love love is is the only truly useful thing and mm-hmm. because everything else like you referenced earlier fran by that uh, biblical passage will be burnt up right yeah um right. if it if it's not and wasn't there even a fire there was a fire in the story yeah we it, didn't even talk about yeah that. you're right the um, museum burned down <laughs> or something like that later yeah. he left it to the town museum and for a long time while leaf by niggle hung there in a recess and was noticed by a few eyes but eventually the museum was burnt down and the leaf <laughs> and niggle were entirely forgotten in his old country yeah. <laughs> well so. the final the final the final part of the of that second epilogue mm-hmm. is then when they're when they're talking about again you were talking about the usefulness mm-hmm. of this place that that niggle created um and in the beginning it was niggle's picture and then it was niggle's country and then when when parish arrived it was niggle's garden mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. now here at the very end they've renamed it and it's now niggle's parish i know oh. isn't that awesome yeah so I like that, and and to the back to that naming so thing, back to that naming thing of why is Parish named Parish? We know mm-hmm. why Niggles named Niggle. Why is Parish named 
perish mm-hmm. and and uh, obviously there's a there's a double meaning with perish there in in, in being a church in a, or a congregation or um, a community and so but now those two men together and what they've created is is essentially a church mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a it's a way for us to experience God together uh, and and draw closer to him mm-hmm. uh, and so now you've got this beautiful place that people go Nichols Parish yeah I love that yeah. Oh, y'all, well, this is the best story. If you haven't read it, if you have heard us talk about this for two episodes and have not read it yet, <laughs> please go read it. For shame. For shame. What's wrong with you people? As Fran says, it's 45 minutes to listen to on Audible. So yeah. you can do it. You well, can do it. And each, I think each, there's four chapters and each chapter is like, you know, 12 minutes. And <laughs> and listen to it, read it, and then and then do it again. Talk about it. Well, yeah. and, and yeah, find and somebody to talk somebody about else, it with. Make someone else read it or listen to it and then talk to them about it because that's where the beauty is. I mean, that's where the parish begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Love it. All right. Last little bits, y'all. Yes, yes, yes. Thank y'all. So John and Matt, y'all should know that we do last little bits, right? <laughs> so did you I come prepared? It. No, I was <laughs> sweating. I was sweating when we started talking. I was like, I didn't prepare. <laughs> So I, I am prepared. Four of us, so you can go last. You, you'll you have a few minutes. Fran, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Um, I loved, obviously, this story. I, I have a new a newfound love of reading and just realizing the richness of just literature and, and all of what it has to offer us. And so one of my goals for the new year is more pleasure reading. And if you know me, I don't do fiction. I don't, like, I am all about nonfiction. That is where my heart is. I have my husband here to attest to that. Like, my <laughs> bedside table is full of spiritual reading, full of like practical reading, not a lot of fiction on the bedside table. So this year I'm going to start trying to read more and read better. And one of the things that I have that, that I've done over the holiday is a, a very small um, audio course um, or little little video courses by Brandon Vaught. He's associated with uh, Bishop Robert Barron's Word on Fire. He was like one of his early producers, and he has his own website, BrandonVaught.com. And he has a little kind of course. It's like a three part course on how to read more books. And it's actually really good. It doesn't take long. So I highly recommend if you want to join me in this effort to read more and read better, go to BrandonBot.com and uh, do his little course on how to read more books. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Because I, I love to read too, but I need to learn how to read more books too. Um, because as you know, I pay my children to read books, my older <laughs> ones. <laughs> I'm like, if you read 15 books in a year, and I only have one that, that every year kind of, gets, you know, makes her goal or whatever. Um, but I told you one time that one of them was in the biographies and you said, Oh, I spent my one summer reading every Kennedy biography. I did. Yes. So in you, the library. I, yes. So I, 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 I get, you're not a nonfiction girl. <laughs> it, was, it was a salty summer for me. But I know a lot about the Kennedys now <laughs> <laughs> for better or worse. I know. Um, okay. My last little bit, who has seen two popes? Oh, Anyone? I have hands Anyone? up. I have. I have. <sighs> Well, it was well done. I mean, it was an entertaining yeah, movie. I'm, it really was. And I'm so glad that I, I read Bishop Robert Barron's um, article that it really should have been labeled One Pope before yeah. I read it. Because I would have, you know, it was so well done. And it is an entertaining, you know, movie. But as Bishop Barron says, it's, it is it is um, probably pretty accurate of, Bishop, of, of Pope Francis, but it's more of a character of Pope Benedict. And so I want to recommend a new um, a new documentary that was done on Pope Benedict. It was a 30-minute documentary <gasps> that they said was very respectful, very well done, and it was done by a German television station. And so it's on the National, National Catholic Register. I saw it yesterday. Okay. So I'm going to go and look at that so I can kind of balance out my two, my two popes. <laughs> but yeah. if anyone has read, has watched the two popes, you know, movie, Keep in mind that it maybe is not super accurate of Pope Benedict, and there there's a little bit of a um, well, and the a, premise is fiction. Yes, but they yeah. it says based on true events at the yeah. beginning, and so that's yes, true. yeah. So, anyways, that's that's my last little bit. Don't just take it with a grain of salt. Take it with like a whole salt shaker and some tissue because you will cry if you have a heart for Catholicism. It actually is very beautiful and shows just the humanity of the church right. um, for, for better or worse. But um, again, it is fiction. Yeah, it's not all true. Mostly. Y'all. Yeah. 
okay. historical fiction. Well, make sure you all send me the links to the things you mentioned, by the way. Right? Totally. So I yeah. can add them to the show notes. Um, all right. Well, I, I, since Matt's going last, I'll I'll go next. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so Two Popes is Netflix, right? Yes. Okay. So I've got a Netflix thing. So I've I've been watching the third season of The Crown with uh, with my wife. So I I, I, I assume Tracy I assume Tracy like has already binge watched you know the whole the whole thing maybe a couple of times. Um, so We're starting over from the beginning. Actually, sorry to interrupt you. I, no, I I I would have assumed no less. Um, uh, so the I'm like halfway through the third season, so don't so don't uh, spoil anything for me, but. Um, I, I I assume Queen Elizabeth doesn't die anywhere along the way. So. <laughs> uh, she's she's hanging she's in alive there. and she's well. She's still alive. All right, good. Okay, so what do I want? Like I've I guess I just wanted to say like I've been really enjoying it. Um, I, I enjoyed the first two seasons. It's not the kind of thing that I would have probably watched on my own if Greta wasn't you know kind of saying let's watch this let's watch this but uh it never fails every time i get into it i'm like i really it was kind of like watching downton abbey for me uh you know like when it came out yeah do you prefer claire foy or olivia coleman elizabeth well so far so far i prefer uh claire foy but that i mean i've only had four episodes with um with the newer the newer actress Mm -hmm. i mean the problem is the woman does age and so you can't keep a young 20 something year old as an older woman with grandchildren mm-hmm. or, you know, with, with grown children. So, but the, they're both excellent. They are yeah. both excellent. They that, both get a like, major credit. Absolutely. Um, I actually think I like the actor that plays Prince Philip better in season three than I did. Uh, not, oh, I, I like that. I like Matt. What was his name? Um, that played the, played him in the first two seasons. I can't remember, but mm-hmm. I liked him. All right. But I, I like was Prince Philip. I, I think this guy looks like a dead ringer. The Duke for, of Edinburgh. Yeah, I think this guy looks like Edinburgh. a dead ringer for, for Prince Philip. But what I want to say, I guess this is why I brought it up. The thing that really, the insight that I had in the after the first couple of episodes of this season was how the queen, unlike most political world leaders, is, and this might sound a little odd, but she's like your average person. Because like more than most leaders, more than most political mm-hmm. leaders, because she did not ask for the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she doesn't have to be someone else to get it. it. She is yeah. Frodo with this ring, right? <gasps> she she did not ask for this to come to her, and it's and it's especially true in her case because she has seen the fruits of abdication in her own yeah. life when her uncle abdicated the throne and gave it gave the and it was like because he wanted to. Mm-hmm. He wanted to marry uh, the divorcee, I guess, was the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so her father uh, got the, you know, had had to take over. And got it's like, gig. you see what happens to the country and to everybody else when you give up this responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so now here she is. And, and it was really pointed because the episode that I watched last night was the one where she's uh, she, she goes and visits um, the horse. She's doing that kind of, the, the horse yeah. tour. And she's Wishing like, that had been her and life. And she's like, I wish this was my life. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, you, you know, but, but it can't be like, I, I've yeah. been given something else. I'm just really moved by that. Like, and, yeah. and, you know, it's not to say that there's aren't like fair criticisms and, you know, kind of one of the themes of one of the episodes has been like, Oh, these poor Royals and like all of their hardships. Right. But, but in, in a in a certain sense, existentially, like here she is, she didn't ask to be put in this role. She was just born into a particular time and circumstance. And she has to, she has to choose to live her life for the good of others mm-hmm. or yeah. or to be selfish, right? And yeah. that's the choice mm-hmm. that every single one of us ultimately faces, right? Yep. And the answers aren't always clear in our particular circumstance. So I've just been really moved by that aspect and of, uh, so of the good. show. It's it's good. It's good TV. It's good watching. All right. Well, last little bit. I was I was gonna do something like theological and like tie into <laughs> you know seeing the good in other people and like challenging everybody to you know see the good in others uh, from our niggle. But when y'all are talking about movies and stuff, I gotta give my plug for Little Women. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh y'all, women. Oh, I gotta see. Women out there, yeah. take a man. Yes. Do him a favor and take a man to go see Little Women. Do a uh, man a solid. Men listening, you know, make a woman's day and and take her to go yeah. see Little Women. That it was spectacular, and I wept and cried and like I had my 
the tissue that Fran gave me, we had we had our own little travel thing of Kleenex between us in the movie theater, and the tissues that I had, I had destroyed so much I was getting lint in my eyes because my tissue was coming apart, and now I don't know if I'm crying because the movie's good or I've got all this lint stuck in my eye. I don't know. It was fantastic. It was oh, wonderful. Please, Yay. please go. It was amazing. And don't read any of the stuff. Don't listen to the stuff. Don't read any of the stuff. Just go watch the film and let it be a beautiful film for you. Don't deal with the politics and the agendas and all of those things because it just ruins it. And I think that's just good advice in life. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to read the book either before you uh, go see the movie? I, you I don't. Know. You don't okay. have to read the If you haven't read Little John, have you not John. read Little Women? No. Uh-oh. I know, it's, it's weird to me, because I feel like John. it was this book. We're reading Tolkien. You need to read Little Women. <laughs> oh, good. speaking of stacks of books on bedside tables, y'all, I have a rather <laughs> large one, so I don't know. Well, we're adding one to it. There, no, okay. You can, go see the film. you can go see the film and not have read the book, and it'll still be beautiful. Well, maybe you. I'll want to read the book after I see the film, so uh, yeah, good good stuff. Yep. Thank you right, for joining us. This has been so much fun. Everyone, have a great day. Go Bye, do y'all. something for someone else. Yes. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> Bye. Oh, bye. Thanks for joining us today on Bellator Colloquium. Please look for Bellator Society on everything social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you like what we're doing here on this podcast, we would love for you to share that with us. Rate us on iTunes to help us get the word out and share, share, share. We cannot wait to chat next time right here on Bellator Colloquium, the conversation for online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful.